0: Good morning in today's headlines, damaging for the Biden administration or not. Lawmakers from both sides of the aisle walk away with their own understandings of Hunter Biden Associate Devin Archer's testimony.
1: Updates in former President Trump's legal battles. A Trump aide appears in a Miami court on charges of obstruction and a Georgia judge rejects Trump's requests. We have the details.
0: An action-packed documentary complete with high-speed chases along with shootings and human smuggling activity. Two years in the making, The Epic Times releases God The Hidden Border Crisis.
1: Shocking footage shows widespread floods in China's capital for the fourth consecutive day. Eleven people have died and more than 50,000 were evacuated.
2: The
0: giant X sign is gone from the headquarters of the company formerly known as Twitter. Learn why that is and hear from media experts on the company's rebranding.
1: A man from England has taken his love for plants to the next level and has accumulated an impressive collection. He explains his fascination with greenery. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan.
0: Good morning, everyone. I'm Evelyn Lee. Today is Tuesday, August 1st.
1: And on Archer's testimony, President Biden has said, I have never spoken with my son about his overseas business dealings.
0: Right. So it's interesting how the White House line has changed over that.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Saying that the president was never in business with his son.
0: Yeah, but also that um, Hunter and his partners never talked business.
1: With yeah, th- only that they were giving the illusion of access by having his VP dad on the phone. So we're going to break down the description of President Biden's conversations with his son Hunter's business associates, which is now in the spotlight.
0: Entities Daniel Monaghan has more on the testimony of Hunter Biden associate Devin Archer before House Oversight Committee members.
3: Members of the House panel sought more information in an ongoing investigation into the Biden family business dealings. Democrats and Republicans had diverging views after Devin Archer's testimony. Republicans talked it up, suggesting key new evidence in the probe had been uncovered, while Democrats said it was much ado about nothing. Representative James Comer reacted on Fox News. Well, every day this bribery scandal becomes more credible. Comer said Archer's testimony confirmed that Joe Biden was on the phone over 20 times with people, including Burisma executives. Meanwhile, the lawmaker says Biden lied about ever talking to such people. He also said that Hunter Biden was under immense pressure while they both served on the Burisma board to call Washington, D.C. immediately and try to get Shokin fired. Shokin was the Ukrainian prosecutor investigating Burisma. Biden later claimed to have threatened to withhold foreign aid from Ukraine if he wasn't fired.
4: I looked at him and said, in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money.
3: However, former senior director for European affairs on the National Security Council, Charlie Kupchin, disagrees with that implication. He said Biden's pressuring to have Shokin fired was part of normal anti-corruption efforts and that the then-vice president was acting alongside European allies. Representative Dan Goldman downplayed what he called Biden's casual conversation with his son's business associates. He said 20 times over the course of a 10-year relationship was about two calls a year and that Hunter, a son who talked to his dad every day, would just put his dad on speaker phone with whoever was at dinner.
5: There was no indication that he had any idea who was at dinner.
3: Goldman says the president's comments amounted to little more than greetings and small talk and said Archer was clear that such discussions never touched on business dealings. Goldman called on Rep. Comer to release the transcript of Archer's testimony, which he believes showed Joe Biden had nothing to do with Hunter Biden's business dealings. Rep. Andy Biggs conceded that the conversations between President Biden and Hunter Biden's business associates were largely pleasantries, but says they were still more significant than Goldman had suggested adding that merely by giving a greeting, then-Vice President Biden had given more weight to his son's business ventures. In related news, top Republican leaders are probing the Department of Justice for answers about what they call the sweetheart deal given to Hunter Biden by the agency. In 2018, the IRS began an investigation into Hunter Biden, ultimately recommending three felony tax charges. However, prosecutors instead offered Hunter Biden a deal that Republicans decried as a slap on the wrist. But the judge in the case pushed back on the deal, as it allegedly would have offered the first son nearly unlimited immunity from other tax, drug, or firearm charges committed between 2014 and 2019. Daniel Monahan, NTD News.
0: Continuing with Devin Archer's testimony, Entity spoke with Dr. Stephen J. Allen, a journalist with 45 years experience about the case.
6: So uh, you have Hunter Biden, close friend and associate, Devin Archer, being deposed by the House Oversight Committee today. What do you think, uh, Dr. Allen, that they're looking for?
4: Oh, they, they want all the, the little details that uh, make their case. There was this scheme that the Biden family uh, supported itself off of payoffs from foreign people, uh, particularly Ukrainian organized crime and the Chinese Communist Party and people like that. And now they're looking for all the details so that they can prove it, because obviously people on the other side are going to be skeptical. That's understandable. Um, So they have to find proof.
6: Devin Archer confirmed that uh, the President of the United States, as Vice President, I'm assuming, um, did get on phone calls with
4: um, Hunter and Hunter's business associates at least 20 times. Is reasonable inference enough to hold any weight? Well, there's a thing called consciousness of guilt. Uh, and that is, if you're, uh, you know, if you're running down the street from uh, uh, the alarm going off when the bank has been robbed, uh, then that's a, a good indication. Maybe you're the guy that did it. That's at least part of the evidence. In this case, what were they hiding? Joe Biden said repeatedly that he didn't have that discussion with, with his son. He didn't even know what his son's uh, business dealings were, which was always strange, his son riding on the plane with him to China and things like that. But, um, I mean, during the debate, Biden said that he didn't know anything about what his son was up to. They recently changed that to he wasn't in business with his son, uh, the White House spokesman did. So the question is, why do they keep changing their story, and what are they trying to hide?
1: What you just saw were some updates from Capitol Report. You can see the full version on their show. Next, a quick update on former President Trump's legal battles. A second Trump employee accused of conspiring to obstruct justice in the classified documents case appeared in court yesterday. And a Georgia judge rejected Trump's bid to quash an investigation into if he illegally interfered with the state's 2020 election. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg tells us more. Carlos
7: de Oliveira, the property manager of Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate, made his first court appearance on Monday in Miami, Florida. De Oliveira is accused of trying to delete security camera footage and lying to investigators in the classified documents probe. He was indicted by a grand jury last week on four charges, including conspiracy to obstruct justice and making false statements to the FBI. The Mar-a-Lago employee didn't enter a plea for lack of a local counsel. He was released on a $100,000 bond pending trial.
3: The Justice Department has unfortunately decided to bring these charges against Mr. Dale. Now.
1: And now, now it's time for them
3: to put their money where their mouth is. So I'm looking forward to seeing what discovery is.
7: Trump says the security footage was not deleted and was handed over to investigators. De Oliveira will be arraigned next Thursday in Florida. A superseding indictment added charges against Trump and his aide, Walt Nauta, in the classified documents case. Trump has not yet entered a plea on the latest charges. And a Georgia judge rejected Trump's request for Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis to be disqualified, have any potential indictments blocked, and throw out a special grand jury report with recommendations on who to charge. Prosecutors alleged Trump tried to undermine the 2020 presidential election results in the state. The judge said Trump's bid to disqualify Willis was premature and that he should wait until after charges have been filed to challenge the propriety of the investigation. A Cobb County judge is set to hear Trump's request next Thursday. Willis has indicated she intends to ask a grand jury to approve charges sometime in the next three weeks. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD
1: News.
0: Trump's Political Action Committee is expected to report how much it has spent on legal fees so far this year.
1: The Washington Post reported Trump's Save America PAC is likely to disclose around $40 million in legal fees in the first half of this year. It cited anonymous sources in its report.
0: Trump's team is reportedly creating a new legal defense fund called the Patriot Legal Defense Fund.
1: A Trump spokesperson says the amount of spending is needed to protect those who've worked for Trump from financial ruin and from having their lives destroyed. He called it unlawful harassment from a weaponized Justice Department. And coming up, the Biden administration has rejected a Trump plan to relocate U.S. Space Command headquarters, but a senator from Alabama says the fight is not over.
0: And with the Army struggling to meet the recruitment goal, we speak to one former captain to hear his take on the situation. That and more after the break.
1: Welcome back. The U.S. Space Command headquarters will remain in Colorado instead of moving to Alabama. President Biden yesterday rejected former President Trump's proposal to relocate the Combatant Command. I'd
3: like to the Biden administration's decision Monday ends more than two years of dispute between Colorado and Alabama lawmakers. U.S. Space Command is a joint command reestablished in 2019 under Trump. Despite its name, the command is separate from the U.S. Space Force military branch. In the final days of his presidency, Trump proposed relocating the 1200 service member command to Alabama. Biden's decision marks a win for Colorado's congressional delegation. They have been urging the Biden administration to retain Space Command in Colorado Springs, which is also home to the U.S. Air Force Academy and several military bases. Senator Michael Bennett of Colorado, a Democrat, celebrated the decision. He wrote on Facebook, Colorado is the rightful home for U.S. Space Command, and our state will continue to lead America in space for years to come. Meanwhile, Republican Senator Tommy Tuberville of Alabama called the decision a disastrous choice. He said in a statement, I will continue to fight this as long as it takes to bring Space Command where it would be best served, Huntsville, Alabama. The decision to keep the headquarters in Colorado was in contrast to the recommendations of the Air Force leadership. According to a report from the Government Accountability Office last year, the Air Force studied the issue at length and determined Huntsville, Alabama was the strongest candidate location.
0: How much confidence do you have in the U.S. military? Gallup asked Americans that question in June and shared the results yesterday. Pollsters found that around 40 percent of U.S. adults have very little or some confidence in the armed forces. That's the lowest it's been since 1997. The biggest drop in support was seen in those identifying as Republican, followed by independent voters. Democrats' confidence also dropped this year after a rise when President Biden took office. Despite the decline, the military remains one of the most trusted institutions in the country, second only to small businesses. Meanwhile, the Army, Navy, and Air Force have all struggled recently to meet their recruiting goals. And there is one former military commander who says a big reason why they are not able to meet those goals is because of the politicized environment in the Army. I got his take on things.
6: Rather than um, share my views, I thought I would call a military veteran this morning who's also a parent and a grandparent, and anticipating this question. I wanted to hear it from a veteran myself this morning and relate that to the American people. And so fresh off the press this morning, uh, I asked why is it that parents and veterans aren't interested in recommending military service to the next generation? And his response was that when I served, he said the military was about fighting, and today it's not. And in his view, he said, today it's an environment filled with propaganda that is intended to shape the political views of service members. And then he finished his thought by saying it's quite offensive. And I think that that uh, line of reasoning is simple and it's typical of your broader American uh, population. When I decided I wanted to serve in the military and attend the Air Force Academy in Colorado, I did so because I had both encouragement and wise counsel from parents and active duty uh, and retired military veterans.
0: Now, can you speak, talk more about what has changed? Because children of military families usually made up the majority of new recruits. So it seems like the sentiment was different a while back. So what happened?
6: A big part of the answer to that question and it's also a part of the solution to the problem is uh, driven by this administration's policy in particular and the current um, uh, set of personalities we have in in senior military leadership positions. Uh, While the uh, problem of partisan politics plagues the military from top to bottom, it is nevertheless driven by and supported by uh, the current leadership. I'll give you a good example of this. Uh, We've got a chief of staff of the Air Force, uh, four-star general, General C.Q. Brown, who's been uh, Biden's pick and nomina- nomination for the chairman of the Joint Chiefs role. Under the leadership, if you want to call it that, of General Mark Milley, the American people have lost trust and confidence in him and in the institution writ large because of highly politicized statements of overt public criticism of the former commander-in-chief, President Trump, and because he's leaked private conversations to journalists and authors, uh, to sell books. There is a consternation and a division and a disagreement about what's best for the readiness and lethality of the U.S. military. It will require a new administration at this point, it's very clear, and it will require a whole cast of new senior military leaders who are willing to act in courage and to put down old ways, and to, uh, well, recent old ways, and to return to a patriotic, America-loving, apolitical military work environment.
0: Hmm. Thank you so much for giving those insights and also answering one of my following questions already. I also want to um, look at um, another aspect, Um, because the Military Family Support Programming Survey, they found other issues as well that I also want to give a bigger picture. Um, I want to present them to you here as well. So, They were saying that the financial strain, for instance, is an issue, and then there's the argument that the Afghanistan withdrawal comes into play as well. So how do you weigh all these?
6: Well, the Afghanistan withdrawal, first off, is a, a terrible black eye for uh, the administration and our senior military leaders. It showed that it was likely due to, a, uh, to highly pl- misplaced priorities that we made such a botched withdrawal. And, and again, their testimony before Congress, which was public and which people who cared paid attention to, showed um, what looked like uh, incompetence what looked like um, infighting, what looked like disagreement with the sitting commander-in-chief and no one willing to take responsibility for for our actions, for our decisions, and for our lack of strategy. Uh, that's why some people were fired for speaking up against our senior military leaders at the same time, because they demanded accountability, which clearly uh, we didn't have anymore in our, our senior military ranks. As far as... Um, for financial reasons. Let me say that always, traditionally or historically, men and women have been willing to serve in uniform and parents have been willing to suggest to the next generation that they serve in uniform, despite the fact that pay is not great for military service members. Some of our youngest enlisted members actually join because it will help pay for their their associate's degree or their bachelor degree. It helps them further their education. And so they serve for a minimum of maybe four years while they're having their education paid for, and those incentives remain in place.
0: Well, thank you so much, Matthew Lohmeyer, for uh, giving us your aspect on this. Uh, I appreciate your time today.
6: Hey, thanks for having me.
1: China begins its recently announced export controls on two strategic metals today. The move is widely seen as retaliation for Western restrictions on the Chinese regime's access to advanced semiconductors. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg tells us more.
7: BEIJING ANNOUNCED EARLY LAST MONTH THAT IT WOULD RESTRICT EXPORTS OF GALLIUM AND GERMANIUM, TWO METALS ESSENTIAL TO THE PRODUCTION OF SEMICONDUCTORS AND GREEN ENERGY TECHNOLOGIES. THE MOVE FOLLOWS ACTIONS TAKEN BY THE BIDEN ADMINISTRATION THAT INCLUDE BROAD EXPORT CONTROLS IN THE CHIPS AND SCIENCE ACT. JAPAN, SOUTH KOREA AND THE NETHERLANDS ALSO REACHED AN AGREEMENT WITH THE U.S. TO LIMIT CHINA'S ACCESS TO MATERIALS USED IN ADVANCED COMPUTER CHIPS. Germanium is used in solar panels, electric vehicles, and batteries. Gallium is one of the components used in semiconductors for mobile phones, 5G systems, LEDs, and other electronics. Shane Toos, president of Logan Circle Strategies, says the pandemic exposed just how reliant the U.S. supply chain is on China.
8: They have um, different environmental standards when it comes to mining. So when we're thinking about this going forward, we really need to think about the supply chain as part of a a long tail process because you're dealing with different governments. These are things that we need to have trade agreements so we make sure that we're thinking not only about the geopolitical issues but the environmental issues as well as the the workforce issues that go into this. And um, we we don't have a control on that right now with China. We supply a lot of their supply is something that keeps us uh, you know all our devices working. Anything with an on button has a. Um, you know, has a semiconductor chip in it, and that's a very you know, concerning item. So we're, we're, we need to think about where these rare earth minerals can be from besides China. And so that-
7: China produces an estimated 60 percent of the world's germanium and about 90 percent of the world's gallium.
8: And I think the important thing, and it's one of the reasons why we study history as well, is to see how we don't get into that situation again. And supply chain is really important at, like, every level, even when it comes to information flow.
7: To is the importance of working with trusted partners to secure the supply chain.
8: We need to think about uh, how we're doing bilateral, multilateral agreements with other countries and the, um, the evidence we're seeing that China is not the best place to do business in this area.
7: According to the latest mineral commodity summaries report from the U.S. Geological Survey, China is the dominant supplier of 16 minerals classified as critical, along with 25 other minerals. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News.
0: Beijing taking a jab at U.S.-China tech ties with new export curbs. China announced export controls on some drones and drone-related equipment Monday.
9: Beijing taking a jab at U.S.-China tech ties with new export curbs. China announced export controls on some drones and drone-related equipment Monday. In a statement from China's Commerce Ministry, restrictions are aimed at safeguarding national security and interests. China runs a major drone manufacturing industry and exports to several markets, including the U.S. More than 50 percent of drones sold in the U.S. are made by Chinese company DJI. The drone export curbs follow other Chinese controls last month targeting metals used in chip-making. The move was seen as retaliation after Washington restricted Beijing's access to key technologies. The limits on drones also follow other Western criticism, aimed at Beijing's drone exports to the battlefield in Ukraine. China's ban on some consumer drones and civilian drones for military use starts September 1st.
1: Still to come, Russia getting an unpleasant taste of war on its own soil. Another drone strike at a Moscow building holding government ministry offices.
0: And 11 people have died in Beijing as heavy rains stretched into a fourth day, turning roads into rivers. We have more on the devastating aftermath of Typhoon Doksuri. Concern is growing with each hour after an American child and her mother were kidnapped in
1: Haiti. The two were taken from the campus of a Christian ministry near Port-au-Prince, where the woman served as a nurse.
0: There has been no word on where they are, who has them, or any ransom demands. Axel Dorsenville and her child were kidnapped last Thursday from the campus of a faith-based ministry called El Roy Haïti.
1: On the same day they were taken, the U.S. ordered all non-emergency staff to leave Haiti. It also warned that all Americans should leave due to the risk of kidnapping. Increasing
0: gang violence adds to the urgency of the situation. Here, Secretary of State Antony Blinken.
7: We have very deep concern for the situation there, particularly with uh, regard to violence and the activities of, uh, of the gangs.
0: The U.S. State Department has confirmed they are working with government partners and Haitian authorities to find Alex and her child and bring them back safely.
1: And over to Russia, a Moscow building with government ministry offices was struck by a drone for the second time in three days on Tuesday.
0: Russia called it an attempted Ukrainian terrorist attack. Ukrainian presidential adviser said Moscow should expect more drone attacks and more war. The building is known as the IQ Quarter, which houses the Ministry of Economic Development, the Digital Ministry, and the Ministry of Industry and Trade.
1: Moscow has come under repeated drone attacks since early May, when two drones were fired at the roof of a building in the Kremlin complex. The incidents have not caused casualties or major damage, but have provoked widespread unease. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky reacted after the first attack happened.
3: The war returns to the territory of Russia, its symbolic centers and military bases, and this is an inevitable, natural and absolutely fair process.
0: Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov said on Monday that Ukrainian attacks on Moscow and other targets inside Russia were acts of desperation.
1: Peskov added that Russia it was taking all measures possible to protect against strikes.
0: And over to China, at least 11 deaths as Beijing grapples with the worst flooding in a decade. This is the aftermath of Typhoon Dussuari, continues to ravage the city and surrounding areas. We have some shocking footage.
7: For the fourth consecutive day, the remnants of Super Typhoon Dussuari ripped through China's capital. Raging floods engulfed large swaths of Montogu, the hardest hit area in western Beijing, leaving around 150,000 homes without water. Videos on social media showed a sea of flooding near the city's Fifth Ring Road, with bridges down and cars washed away.
10: There
7: Another video captured brownish floodwaters gushing down the main streets and pouring into residential areas. Courier centers also suffered severe damage, with packages scattered and drifting about. The death toll from the storm has climbed to 11. According to state media, another 27 people are still missing. More than 50,000 residents were evacuated. As of Tuesday, nearly 400 flights were canceled and hundreds delayed at Beijing's Mm -hmm. two major airports. Torrential rains also pummeled neighboring Tianjin and Hebei province. In one video, water rose to the height of a road sign, submerging nearby trees. Typhoon Doksuri made landfall in southeastern China last Friday before moving north. Authorities said an average of seven inches of rain was recorded in southeastern Beijing from Saturday night through Monday afternoon. That's equivalent to the average rainfall for the entire month of July. Downpours are expected to weaken starting Tuesday. But China is bracing for Typhoon Kanun, the third typhoon to hit the country in a matter of weeks. It's expected to enter the East China Sea on Wednesday.
0: And now to some short headlines around the world.
1: An Afghan branch of the ISIS terrorist group yesterday claimed responsibility for a suicide bombing in Pakistan. It killed at least 54 people at a pro-Taliban party's election rally. It was one of the region's worst attacks in recent years. The group said it was part of their continuing war against forms of democracy it deems to be against Islam.
0: In British Columbia, huge wildfires that crossed over from Washington state were pushed back from the town of Osoyoos. That was after firefighting efforts and shifting winds. Late Saturday, an evacuation order for the tourist hotspot and its surrounding district was issued after the fire threatened thousands of properties.
1: A UK regulator has shut down three law firms for allegedly offering fake asylum claims for cash. Last month, the Daily Mail reported how multiple lawyers agreed to help an undercover reporter posing as an economic migrant submit a phony application in exchange for thousands of dollars. One lawyer asked for over $12,000 to invent a horrific backstory to use in the asylum application.
0: UNESCO experts have recommended that Venice and its lagoon be added to the, its list of world heritage in danger. The UN agency says Italy is not doing enough to protect the city from the impact of sea level rise overdevelopment, and mass tourism. It accuses authorities of lacking an overall strateg- strategic vision. The Pakistan attack really just makes it clear, how the security issues that they face.
1: Oh, absolutely, yeah. Well, considering that there's these two rival militant groups that are perpetuating violence and they're trying to boost their recruitment and trying to gain attention. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And still to come, the man who drove into a large group of migrant workers has turned himself into police. He says he accidentally sped up.
0: And exclusive footage and interviews with ranchers and officers, the Epoch Times reveals the border crisis in ways you may not have seen before in the documentary Godaways. Good to have you back. A North Carolina man turned himself into police yesterday. He drove his car into a group of migrant workers the day before.
1: Police in Lincolntown, North Carolina, have charged Daniel Gonzalez with felony hit-and-run.
0: Gonzalez told family members that he hit the gas by accident, panicked, and left the scene.
1: Police tell a different story after reviewing video footage showing Gonzalez crossing a median before hitting the group.
0: The group of 20 to 30 migrant workers were waiting to board a bus that travels to and from a nearby farm. Six victims were taken to a local hospital for various injuries. All were released by Sunday evening. Gonzalez is free on a $50,000 bond.
1: Illegal immigrants in New York City are sleeping on the street in front of an iconic Manhattan hotel. That's as the makeshift processing center is hitting full capacity. The city's mayor weighed in on the issue. NTD's Arian Pastar has more for us
5: illegal immigrants sleeping on the street in front of the roosevelt hotel in midtown manhattan ntd was on the scene getting this footage on monday the situation has been looking like this since friday the hotel is reportedly being used as a first stop for immigrants there they should be processed and then sent to other shelters across the city however new york city mayor eric adams last month already said
10: we have no more room in the city and we need help for the federal government.
5: People reportedly wait in this line for 24 to 48 hours before being processed. However, some say they've been waiting for five to six days. On Monday, Adams commented on the situation. He partly blamed border states who are sending buses to the Big Apple and the federal government for not supporting the city more and not making policy changes.
3: Eventually, this was going to come to a neighborhood near you. And it is, uh, you know, you know 91,000 people We need to allow people to work. There's nothing more anti-American than you can not work. We need to control the border.
10: We need to call a state of emergency and we need to properly fund this national crisis."
5: Last month, Adams announced that adult illegal immigrants can only stay in city shelters for up to 60 days from now on. After that, they have to find alternative housing. Now, over the past few days, they endured strong heat and rain for hours. Overnight, the city provided buses for people to seek shelter. A reporter asked Adams on Monday if illegal immigrants might be housed in tents in the future, in Central Park, for example.
3: I can assure you that this city is not going to look like other cities with their tents up and down every street.
5: The mayor says New York City now has to adapt to the fact that there is no more indoor housing and that he'll announce next steps on where to house immigrants. Ariane Pastar, NTD News.
1: The Epic Times has published a new documentary. It's about the border crisis, and it took two years to make. It, it contains exclusive footage and interviews with officers and ranchers in border counties. I spoke with the maker. Take a look. Joining me now is Kay Rubichek, the producer of the Epic Times documentary, Gottaways, The Hidden Border Crisis. It's great to have you with us, Kay.
2: Thanks for having me, Kevin.
1: What can viewers expect to learn by watching the documentary, Got
2: We made this documentary so that we can take you there because the first time when I saw the border up close, right there in front of me, it was unlike anything I could have ever imagined. That's what I've been told, but I still didn't believe it until I saw it. But all Americans can't necessarily go to the border and see what's really going on. This movie takes you front row seat to experience that and really understand the issue.
1: Were there any challenges in the filming of this documentary?
2: Oh, you bet. There, there always are with any documentary, but this one in particular, our director, Charlotte Cuthbertson, has been stationed on the border for two years. This movie includes uh, high-speed car chases, gun, <clears throat> gun shooting, gun um, uh, arrests, Arrests of Americans traveling to the border to participate in human smuggling, not realizing that they're probably bringing criminals into the country. My goodness, the amount of accidents, car accidents, more than 200 hours Charlotte was riding with sheriffs and deputy sheriffs and other authorities on the border to document this movie.
1: The makers had to go to great lengths to get this story out. Are there any other documentaries that paint such a detailed picture as this one?
2: No, we're all getting generally like kind of border fatigue. Everyone says, oh, I know about the border issue. I know migration. They're calling it migration, but this is illegal immigration. People are fatigued saying they know all about it, they want things to change. But this documentary, God brings a whole new perspective that no other media have covered. We've called it the hidden border crisis because you see the human smuggling that Americans are participating in and the God the people that you do not see on other media because it's very hard to capture them on camera and that's what we've gone to great lengths to do for this movie.
1: What motivated the making of this documentary?
2: It was really the director, Charlotte Cuthbertson, who knew that this was a a big issue two years ago and she started documenting it. I was very fortunate to go and report with her on the border and she told me what to look out for and. At the time, it was very hard to imagine. But in the middle of the night, we were seeing cartel members right in front of our cameras, bringing women and children over. Border authorities were there. I wouldn't say welcoming them, but they were processing them. Meanwhile, just down the river, in the dark, were other vehicles. And things crossing the river illegally into the country, likely bringing Godaways, potentially weapons or drugs. That's what our media in most cases are missing. That's hard to capture on camera, but vitally important for all Americans to be aware of and to really start talking about.
1: A lot of reasons to keep the border secure for people trying to come into this country, as well as Americans already here. Just briefly, the CBP reported that there were 400,000 gotaways in fiscal year 2021 and about 600,000 in 2022. Your documentary estimates that there are 1.7 million gotaways during the Biden administration. Is that including all of the unknown gotaways?
2: That is only known godaways that border authorities are willing to estimate. The actual number of godaways is far greater, and no one is able to put a figure on that.
1: Well, Kay Rubichek, producer of Godaways: The Hidden Border Crisis, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. It was a great interview with Kay. And Charlotte Cuthbertson is the senior border security correspondent for The Epic Times who did the reporting. She
0: moved down to a small border county in Texas in 2021 and spent hundreds of hours with sheriffs, lawyers, school officials, border agents, and EMS directors.
1: Definitely a must-see. You can watch the documentary on Epic TV and NTD.com. More coverage for you coming up. The giant X sign is gone from the headquarters of the company formerly known as Twitter. Learn why that is and hear what media experts say about the company's new brand when we come back. It's good to have you back with us. The nation's first religious charter school is scheduled to open its doors next year. That will be in June in Oklahoma City. But first, they have to successfully survive a lawsuit that aims to block its opening. St. Isidore, a Catholic charter school, received approval from the state charter board, but the ACLU and other groups are seeking to block its operation. That's over concerns the precedent will open the door for more publicly funded schools of this type. They also argue that non-Catholics, students with disabilities, and others could face discrimination there. Recent legal trends show religion gaining footholds in more schools. Many states have increased funding for voucher programs. Texas now allows clergy to replace counselors in public schools. The Supreme Court has also ruled vouchers can be used at religious schools.
0: The giant X sign is gone from the headquarters of the company formerly known as Twitter. The city of San Francisco is launching an investigation into the flashing sign. Elon Musk recently rebranded Twitter as X, removed the Twitter logo from the headquarters and erected the giant flashing X sign on top of the building last week. The San Francisco Department of Building Inspection said Monday it received 24 complaints about the unpermitted structure over the weekend. Complaints included concerns about its structural safety and illumination. City officials say replacing letters or symbols on buildings or erecting a sign on top of one requires a permit for design and safety reasons. The city has opened a complaint and launched an investigation into the sign.
1: Elon Musk took another big step over the weekend, completely replacing Twitter's Bluebird with the letter X.
0: That's right, moving onward toward his stated goal of creating an everything app. What major obstacles is X facing along the way? Entities Colin Frederickson has more.
11: The Twitter bird is now completely gone, replaced with X, one of the letters of the alphabet. What challenges does Elon Musk face as he tries to transform X into a successful everything app? Brands take a very long time to build up, to build trust. It's also to the point that to tweet has become a verb. Business professor Nicholas Creel says the sudden rebranding doesn't make a lot of sense. While the blue Twitter bird is known throughout the world, the X is something completely new. But it's not new to Musk. One of his first companies was called X.com, which was later renamed PayPal. Musk wanted to change the name back to X, but the board opposed it because the letter X is mostly associated with pornography. And so a lot of people see that and it kind of sends up a red flag, particularly in a large segment of the population. Creel says many users and advertisers may be unwilling to associate with a product called X.
1: Elon Musk loves X. You know, he's named his kid X when he, you know, multiple companies have used X as part of it. There's a Tesla X model.
11: Social media professor Andrew Selipak says the rebranding shows people the app isn't just about microblogging. The name Twitter, the blue bird, and the term tweet have been strongly associated with just sending out short text posts.
1: X has a small user base compared to Instagram, compared to Facebook or YouTube or TikTok. So what I think Elon Musk is trying to do is seeing what other spaces
11: can he enter the app into to get more people to use it. One key additional feature is the ability to make payments. This could have a significant impact on the money transfer space. Twitter has 450 million active users. So I think very quickly, um, if you were to offer payments, um, one, it can be a huge revenue driver. Joe Camberato is the CEO of fintech firm National Business Capital and has experience with payment apps. He says adding a money transfer feature is a big opportunity for X. Twitter's massive worldwide user base means many would have immediate access to the app and they wouldn't have to go through a bank to send money internationally. This feature could also leverage the social aspect of X, making transferring money more of a social experience. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News.
0: So many obstacles to that rebranding. is quite the undertaking.
1: Yeah, we'll see where all those goals to create a so-called everything app end up. And just ahead, a man from England has taken his love for plants to the next level and has accumulated an impressive collection. He explains his fascination with greenery after the break.
0: Good to have you back. House plants can't live in up any home. But a man from England has taken his love for plants to the next level by accumulating an impressive collection and by helping other plant lovers. Let's take a look.
10: This is a Panama orchid, quite rare, but it's beautiful.
12: Joe Bagley from Leicestershire in England has a clear affinity for plants. So much so that his one bedroom home is filled with them. It all started with a small spider plant cutting, which he
10: got from his grandmother when he was 13 years old. But she didn't give it to me straight away. I had to wait several weeks for it to root on, on the fridge. So there's a little glass, you put it in a glass with a bit of water, put it on top of the um, the fridge and I couldn't take it home for about a month. And of course like a 13, 12, 13 year old guy wants it straight away, but that was my earliest memory and that was the first plant that I, that I actually had. His early interest has now grown into a massive collection
12: of over 1400 plants comprised of UK native plants, tropical plants, flowers, succulents and vines. His impressive collection includes 400 terracotta pots across every single room, even the stairs. And he is now looking to also take over an outdoor space. Joe
10: says that with his plants keeping him company, he never feels alone. If the, the room was empty, the house was empty with nothing, just furniture, there's nothing there, there's, no, there's nothing, there's no life in the room. So, seeing all these plants, and of course, they're all at different growth stages throughout the year. Some of them are flowering, some of them are growing leaves, some of them are dormant. It's quite nice being surrounded by nature at all different points of their life cycle. Joe says he particularly enjoys nursing dying plants back to health. Yes. Yeah, It's always a nice little story, you know, having a plant which is half dead to begin with. You nurture it, repot it, cut away the roots, cut away the foliage, you know, propagate it, whatever you have to do. To see it from that first day when you first got it, when it was looking decrepit and awful and almost dead, to now seeing it full of leaves, happy again, is really good and having that photo of the before and after is brilliant. Through his
12: website he now helps other plant lovers by explaining the basics, such as controlling the plant's environment, moisture and humidity levels, and the right type of feed. He also sells potting mixtures and organic feed. Joe says in the future he would like to write a book about his experience with plants, and perhaps even own his own little plant shop.
1: That really does look like a lot of upkeep.
0: Oh yeah, 1,400 plants.
1: That's a lot, a lot of watering. Oh, for sure and you know I used to have some microgreens actually some edible houseplants plants. Mm. yeah
0: yeah I might check out his website cuz I have one plant that doesn't look so good
1: <laughs> and how about that moon this morning
0: oh yeah that's right good point this month there will be two supermoons peaking one of them today around 2 p.m. Eastern time it will be visible in Europe the UK Africa and the Middle East those in the US will be able to see it during the evening
1: This one is also called the Sturgeon Moon as it occurs around the time when indigenous populations historically found it easy to catch sturgeon fish in the Great Lakes.
0: The second supermoon, a super blue moon, will be on August 30th at around 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time.
1: A blue moon refers to a second full moon in the same month, which is rare. It occurs once every two and a half years.
0: So the name has nothing to do with its color. It comes from an old expression meaning something that rarely happens.
1: And make sure you don't miss it, because if you do, they say you'll have to wait nine years for your next chance. Oof,
0: that's a long time. Yeah.
1: And the color was really great. It was just so bright and vibrant.
0: Awesome, so yeah, I, I missed it, I have to say. I should have paid attention. All right, anyway, that's all for today's program. We'd love to hear from you at goodmorning at Shoot us an email if you'd like. Thanks for watching,
1: I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.